Druids and cars go into festivals. They can chat about things. It's a druid podcast in cars. Sometimes the best parts of festivals are the discussions that surround them, reflections on what we did and heard, anticipation of what's to come, and processing what it all means in relation to our spiritual work. We wanted to help either introduce you to that phenomenon or extend it for you. That's what this is about. I'm Reverend Jana Vende. And I'm Reverend Michael J. Dangler. We're priests of Arnriach Fane and members of Three Cranes Grove ADF in Columbus, Ohio. We're recording these sessions actually live in cars, actually going to festivals and events, so you will hear road noise, turn signals, and navigation prompts. But that's part of what makes it fun. So... Sit back and enjoy, druids. In cars. Going to festivals. Hooray! So I was budgeting today, which is like the most stressful, worst thing ever to spend your day doing. It really is. Because I was doing like long-term projections of stuff. One of which was planning our, you and I and our families, uh, trip to Greece in like, what, five-ish years or so? Or so. Um, So I was trying to figure out like how much I should save, and then this conversation kind of turned into all the places we want to see, and I was like, wait, we should record this. We should indeed. (laughs) And so this, this idea came up. What, back when our kids were, were they infants or was it even before they were born? I don't remember. I think, well, I think originally it was just going to be you and I going. Possibly. And then our kids were born and we were like, hey, we should make a family trip. Yeah. Which we decided we would go when they were 10. Yeah. Right? So they could remember it. So they could remember it. And then I went and had another kid. And so now we have to wait till he's 10. So he can remember it. So he can remember it. Uh, Which is good, because we totally didn't have the money to go when they were 10. So, perfect. Um, uh, But yeah, so I'm going through all these sites that I want to see, and figuring out, like, do we have to go during high tourism season? We don't. The answer is no, which is good, (laughs) because the flights are, like, half the cost. I think one of the most overwhelming things about, once I'm past, like, oh my god, this is going to cost a million dollars... Um, once I pass that, <laughs> then there's the, like, I don't, I haven't traveled overseas except for studying abroad when, like, I was in one location and not traveling from place to place except, like, a couple of day trips. Um, and so the, the concept of planning, like, a circuit of sacred sites, because honestly, that's why I want to go to Greece, right, is to see sacred sites, um, is complicated? I don't know, it seems, it probably seems way more complicated than it is. It it can be. It's, It's not always complicated. Sometimes you get pleasantly surprised by an itinerary that just blossoms into something that you can go see things that you didn't think you'd be able to. Um, that has happened to me on more than one occasion. I mean, heck, it's happened to us on this podcast where we stopped by Rushwood yeah, last yeah. year. Um, but a little bit of planning, I think as we mentioned in that particular discussion, goes a long way. Right. And knowing what you want to see and knowing what is there is usually the kicker. And so as we're planning to go see these sacred sites, and Greece is a different animal than somewhere else in, say, Northern Europe, or if you were going... Which is where you're going soonish. Which is where I'm going soonish. 
um, or if you want to see museums instead of sites, again, it's a different animal because museums are often in city centers. Okay. Um, sacred sites are occasionally as well, but not always. Well, and the last time I went to Greece was before the Olympics. And that makes a difference. And it was also like eight months after 9-11. So, like, a lot of the security was very different, but they also, you could just walk up to places because there were no fences or gates, and, like, nothing was organized for, like, mass tourism. Right. And And I haven't been since, obviously, so, like... (laughs) That that is, it sounds like it would be a disadvantage that they have placed all of the sites in Greece behind gates and fences and they all now have a, I mean, a two or three euro entrance fee. Yes, or, but there's probably also less thieving, less vandalism. Um, yes. And that's perhaps bathrooms. I, like There are bathrooms. <laughs> you, you can go to the bathroom at Delphi and not have to go in the bushes. It's really kind of awesome actually. But um, you also probably like can't, shouldn't stand on the pillars and pretend to be a fountain, say. Yes, there, there are, at Delphi in particular, there are little old ladies um, who sit on beach chairs. They, they look kind of like lifeguards, and they have whistles, and if they see you climbing on the ruins, they will blow their whistle and then yell at you in four or five different languages to get off the stones uh, until they find a language that you understand. Um, That's amazing. It really is. They're, they're quite multilingual, um, at least in those particular phrases. And um, I, I appreciate them deeply. Um, but in a lot of these places, there's not, you know, someone walking around checking on you, though there may be. Um, and regardless, you should obviously respect the site. Oh, yeah. Most of the time, you'll still end up there alone at a lot of these places, especially the ones that are off beaten path. And off season. And off season. Yes. Um, so we were talking about going early in the year, mm-hmm. possibly, maybe over spring break or something like that. High season in, in Greece is over the summer. Right, typically. it's from like late May to mid-September, kind of. Yep, um, and what we're talking about is really hitting the shoulders of the season. That's what that's mm-hmm. the, apparently the technical term oh, for... when stuff is still open, but not like... Exactly. You're not going to end up... Full of people? Yeah, you're not going to end up snowed out or full of drunk people, yeah, (laughs) either way. Um, And so if you aim for the shoulders, you can usually get a a better deal. It's cheaper to go. Mm -hmm. And the places are not nearly as crowded. Um, The other thing is transport to those places. Yeah, I was looking at, like, how to get from Athens to Mount Olympus, for example. Yeah. And there were, like, I, t- I typed in... Check reported ahead. I typed in, and it was like, you can fly and then take a taxi. You can take a train the whole way. You could take a taxi the whole way. You'll regret it, but you could. <laughs> but it listed out, like, all these options, and there's just so many of those that, like, I'm not sure if those were choices when I went last in 2001 or 2002, something like that. I don't know that they were. Now, we could probably get by a lot of that stuff with trains and taxis. Mm -hmm. I don't know how cost-effective that is, 
uh, only because renting a car, when you're looking to go to places that are out in the country, when you're looking to go to places that are really off the beaten path, mm-hmm. um, the trains don't go anywhere near them. Right. And so getting to a station and then finding additional transport Oh, from so there. you're thinking just like renting a car for the whole trip. That is what we did the last time that I went. And How many people did you go with last time? Uh, we rented like a 15-passenger van. Oh, okay. That was going to be my question. Do we rent two cars or do we rent like a big bus van? I think we rent as, as big a device as we can. We won't have car seats then, hopefully. Thank um, the gods. <laughs> and, and that'll make a difference, too, because you can pile a lot more people into a car without car seats. Yeah. Another reason to wait until they're 10. Yes. Um, yes. And Don't so you have to get a... Do you have to get an international license. license? Yeah. It depends on the country you're going to, but typically, yeah, that's okay. it's not a bad idea, if only because all of the street signs are in different languages. Now, what is the um, likelihood that we will have to say drive this 15 passenger van around a very tiny road around the side of a mountain? In Greece, maybe not so much. Um, in Ireland, probably a lot. Um, it really depends on. Obviously, where you're going, um, and you just kind of got to look at the street maps, I think, to try and figure that out. Uh, in Greece, there's a lot of highways, and the highways go pretty much right where you want to go. Okay. Um, and most of the towns, you're you're driving to an archaeological site either in the center of town or off to the side of it. Um, for example, Dion, if I remember correctly, it was very well marked. It was not hard. It was in the shadow of Mount Olympus. Easy to find. Um, I, um, when I was looking up all the different ways to get places, my, my inner Midwesterner was showing through. I was like, 45 minutes to get to Cape Sunian? Done. Four to five hours to get to Mount Olympus? That's a day trip. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And so the interesting thing about Mount Olympus is that we might want to, we'd want to plan. So we don't get caught in a snowstorm? Right. (laughs) Well, we'd want to plan not to get caught in a snowstorm, but we would also want to plan. uh, How far up we're driving? Well, and the trip up there, too. To take exit 46 to merge onto US 33 toward Lancaster. Um, and the, the, the real part of that planning is, all right, if we drive up and we stay in Litachoro, which is at the foot of Mount Olympus, okay. um, what can we do that day? That, so that we then have a whole day to do Mount Olympus. To do Mount Olympus, yeah. Which, obviously, I would recommend that we do, yeah. you know, Dion, which is also at the foot keep of Mount right Olympus. to merge onto US 33 um, East toward Lancaster. What you're trying to do is maximize the amount of time you get to, to, to spend on site. And so it requires a lot of upfront planning. And some of it you just can't do till you get there. And that's annoying. Right. Um, but having the flexibility of a car, I think, will help a lot. Now, for your trip to Europe... Yeah. Are you you did like a pre-planned package itinerary, right? Yes. We are taking a river cruise 
Um, I'm sure that everyone listening has seen commercials for Viking River Cruises and, and things like that. We're not doing Viking, we're taking Uniworld, which is perhaps best described as, as a slightly more posh and boutique sort of <laughs> experience. Um, it is an all-inclusive sort of cruise, so if I drank a lot, I could drink my weight in, in alcohol and no one would care. Um, but I don't, so it'll be curious in to see how that miles, goes. Keep right onto Columbus Lancaster Road Northwest. But I've done this before, and what I learned when I did it before was that even though these experiences are very heavily curated, you can still find a lot of flexibility within them. You just have to, again, plan. You have to look at where you're going. You have to spend a lot of time digging into what it is you want to see. And then you have to make sure that you're clear with your tour guides what, you, what you're going to do. The license plate in front of us is Odin's son. That whole process, that whole experience really comes down to budgeting and planning and trying to figure out what what you're going to do. And in my case, because it's basically a floating hotel, um, right. I, have to, I have to not only pay attention to where we're stopping, but also what we're passing through. Um, because a lot of that stuff isn't of interest at all to... Your average anybody else goer. <laughs> yeah, I mean the average cruise goer on a Viking River cruise or a Uniform cruise is going to be, you know, sixty-five or older. You take you do these things most of the time when you're um, retiring, or you might do them for a honeymoon. They're expensive. We're going for our anniversary. Um, you're belated. <laughs> very belated at this point. Thanks, Kevin. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that, that process of, of figuring it out, you just you have to figure out how to work within the system. And when I went three years ago, four years ago, five years ago, five years ago now, it's been five years. Wow. Yeah, it was a long time ago. Um, we did the Seine, uh, which flows out of Paris and up into uh, the, uh, the English Channel. And... You know, my parents had planned the trip. The reason that I went is because my father passed. And so I ended up with his ticket and, and went and did it. And it was fabulous. But I didn't think that I would like them before I went. I really didn't. I, I looked at it and I'm like, eh, you know. <laughs> it just, it, it wasn't, I didn't think that it was me. But having done one and found that, you know, you get plenty of free time. And you got museum stops and... I, I made museum stops. So, like, we did an extension on the front half of it where we hit up the museums in Paris. And I looked at what museums I wanted to see. And, of course, I went to the Musée de Cluny, which has um, the, the Nautes pillar, pillar yeah. the, the pillar of the boatman, um, which has my patron got on it, Asus, um, and the bull with the three cranes, Taurus Targarnus. And... Uh, so I was able to spend as much time as I wanted there because it was our time. Um, I also got to see, you know, Notre Dame Cathedral, which did is they where essentially it was just like let you off the boat for X number of hours? And they did. And the nice thing about 
having a cruise manager is that if you if you make friends with a cruise manager, if you talk to the the folks on board, they will get you the tickets for the things you want to get. Hmm. And you don't have to go stand in line because they've got the connections in port. Nice. So I never had to buy tickets to the loop. I just walked up with a ticket. Nice. I didn't have to buy tickets to uh, to Clooney. I just walked up with a ticket and handed it to them. Um, and they work real hard. And it's really, really kind of nice. And then there were pieces that sort of fell into place. Like, we ended up stopping in a port that had, I think there were two or three museums of the Seine uh, along the Seine River. Okay. And... I ended up in port right next to one of them, and that's how we spent our afternoon, as we wandered down into the museum, and we spent our afternoon in the museum. It was kind of cool, and I saw this little tiny mercury um, that was in there, and a whole bunch of other random things that I never would have seen if I had, you know, planned this myself, because I didn't know about them. Right. Now, when we go to to Greece, what are... What's, what are your sites that you want to see? Well, obviously, I have to take you to Sunium. You have to that's take me to Sunium. That is off. what kicked this That is because we looked, you said, here's your inner grove on a map. We yes. should go sometime. So I, I had been to Sunium. <laughs> I forgot that that was the. <laughs> 2006, I think. And then at Wellspring in 2012, 2013, 2014, no, before it would our kids were born. Then it would have been like 2010 or 11. Yeah, I yeah. don't remember. All those wellsprings run together. For I know. It was at Brushwood. It was at Brushwood. Um, and we were doing a, a meditative thingy that I was leading in the back of a truck under a tent because it was raining. It was a truck tent. It was a truck tent. It was raining. And um, we went around and we all kind of, you know, talked about all of our, our, our inner grows. And we were describing them. And you started describing yours. And I was like, wait a minute. (laughs) And you literally pulled it up on Google Maps. I I just, I can't, (laughs) I still can't believe that particular fact. (laughs) But I had also forgotten that that's what kicked off this conversation. Yeah, because I think that's the point where I said, why don't we go back? (laughs) I'll show you. Um, Okay, so we're going to Sunian. Yep, so we're definitely going to Sunian. I would like to go to uh, Marathon. Which is uh, the, the the battle plane? Yeah. And I would really like to go on a full moon night because that's when the battle marathon takes place yet again with the ghosts fighting. Um, how, <laughs> I don't know if the kids will be into that though. I will be though. But my question is, how does the full moon relate to Greek Orthodox Easter? I have no clue <laughs> because that's what we're gonna possibly run up against. Well, what I'll tell you <laughs> is that on Greek Orthodox Easter, if that happens on the full moon, I don't think we're gonna have to worry too much about uh, getting into the site. There won't be anybody there except for the ghosts. Um, but. Uh, that's one of those places that I didn't get to see. I have been to Thermopylae. Um, I kind of like to go back because we never got up to the hot springs, and I have found through the magic of Google Maps where those hot springs are. I didn't even know there were hot springs. Uh, it's the hot gates. It's where the water. It's where the hot water comes out. Huh. Um, and actually, on Google Maps, if you go there, you can see some of the street view okay. pictures. Yeah. Um, of the springs and people swimming in them and all that kind of stuff, so it's kind of cool. There is now a, well, I don't know if there still is, but there was a migrant facility there 
Um, and some folks have indicated online that uh, as a result of that, it's more difficult to get to where you want to go there. Um, I don't know don't know if it's something worth doing. I mean, it's, it's literally a stop off the interstate. Thermopylae is now about two, two and a half miles away from the sea. It used to be right on the sea. It was okay. the, the choke point um, that the Spartans held right. off the, uh, the the Persians at, and there were, there actually been several battles with Thermopylae because it's such a, a key point, but the silt buildup uh, has moved it further away from the sea, or well, moved the sea further away from it. Uh, but you can still stand on the space with the plaque um, it says go tell the Spartans so I, I would enjoy seeing that again and I would enjoy you know taking my kids there mm-hmm. that they would appreciate seeing that um, Delphi I definitely want to I go really want to go back to Delphi yeah um, that was a lot of fun I'd love to go back to Olympus I don't know that I necessarily want to wander all the way back up to, to Zeus's throne up at the top. I kind of do. It's, I mean, Metaclus Peak is, is pretty cool. Uh, I will give it that. It's a longer hike than expected, and we might want to get an actual guide mm, mm-hmm. would be my recommendation to do that. Because when I having did it... Having tried to do it once. Having <laughs> tried to do it once, having gotten lost on Mount Olympus, and having seen the eagles atop Mount Olympus and taken that as a sign that it was time to turn around and boy, boy howdy was it um, because we got off we got off of Mount Olympus didn't that the storm night. like roll down on top of you? Um, that was the second day so the, we went up twice we went up once to kind of scout it out mm-hmm. and then we went back um, the night before we we went back down to Athens and flew out um, to, to Summit and it was it was early and that's the other thing to worry about with early is it was too early for us to to really have like smartly summited in yes. the year yeah um, but yeah we, we got lost the first time going up and because uh, we took the wrong trail at least I know where that wrong turn <laughs> is now um, and it was getting dark we saw the eagles, we made our offerings, and we turned around and we walked away. <laughs> um, and that was a good plan. But yeah, the second day we got off the mountain just before the storm. The storm rolls in, like it does on every mountain around 3 o'clock. Yeah. Um, I'd be interested to stop by uh, the, um, the temple, the cult site of St. Dionysus, which is also just up from Litajoro. Um did you go to the Agora in Athens last time you went? Yes. I was like, that was really cool. The Temple of Hephaestus yeah. is there. So yeah. Nice. We saw a turtle there. <laughs> he was hanging out. Um, I like the Agora. It's The Temple of Hephaestus is really nice. It's really nice. Because it's almost intact. Yeah. I mean, that's the, the Roman Forum, I think, as well, right? Forum and the Agora are... Yeah. The same space, yeah. I believe so. Um, and then we went up to the Acropolis, obviously. I would go back there. Mm-hmm. That was the only place when I went that had any semblance of people in charge of making sure you went where you were supposed to go. Yeah. Um, the only place. Yep. 
I would love to go back to the Acropolis Museum. I went yeah. to the uh, Athenian Military History Museum, which was kind of cool. I don't need to go back to that, though. Um, the, uh, I'm interested to go to Delphi with post-Olympics stuff. Yep. Because when we went up, it was... I mean, you didn't really know where you were going. You just walked up the side of the mountain until you found what looked like ruins. Yep. <laughs> um, so I, I'm interested to go back there and see more, I don't know, more guided, here's what you're looking at kind of things. There is a little bit of that. They've got some, you know, information plaques and things like that. Lucis, I would go back to. Yeah, yeah. Um, doing a two powers meditation. I want to do that. Ever since you talked about it, man, I want to go do cool. that. <laughs> um, we did uh, Methana in down in the Peloponnese, and that's a that's the volcano that Hephaestus lives in. So that was pretty cool. Did two powers meditation inside the crater was awesome. <laughs> um, and then I'd like to do some of the islands. I would really enjoy doing some of the islands. I don't know which ones necessarily. Delos, probably. But that's the other... Yeah, I don't... I don't have a strong desire to do Crete because it's such a huge tourist thing. And it... Yeah. Like, if I have to pick islands, like, that's not necessarily the one that's, like, top of my list. I mean, it'd be nice to see Knossos. That'd be, yeah. be kind of cool. Yeah. I would be interested to go see the tomb of Agamemnon, which is probably not Agamemnon's tomb, but, you know, that's okay. Um, Carried that off to the museum, the British yeah. Museum. Um. Uh, <laughs> I'd be interested to see uh, Olympia, but that's all the way on the other side of yeah. the Peloponnese, and that's that's a long ways. Um, I enjoyed going to Corinth and Acrocorinth. Uh, I would totally hike up to the top of Acrocorinth again. There's a beautiful vista there. Um, the Temple of Hera across the way. There's a lighthouse across the way from Corinth as well that was really lovely and picturesque. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's... I would totally do the old trip that I did before. I'd do that again <laughs> in a heartbeat, but... Uh, plus Sunian. Plus, well, I mean... I did was that Sunian. part of your old trip? It was. Oh, okay. That's how we knew. Oh, okay. That's, That's how you knew what I was describing. Exactly. That I didn't know that I was I describing. been there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah So Those are kind of the things that I would like to see What do you want to see? I, I've been interjecting Oh I know you have <laughs> I want to go I want to go to Mount Olympus yeah. And I would like to Pilgrimage to the top essentially um, Or you know Ish Top ish <laughs> I mean you can get all the way there We'll so. see how We'll see if it's covered in snow Yes <laughs> When we go It's um, key <laughs> uh, no, that's a recipe for a broken leg. Uh, <laughs> probably cheaper healthcare, though. Uh, <laughs> I want to see Delphi again. Yeah. I want to go to Cape Sunian. Um, beyond that, like, those are my, my big three that I'm really interested in seeing. Um, beyond that, it would be nice to go back to the Parthenon. Like, that was really cool. Yeah. Um, and the Agora is something I'd like to go back and, and see. Yeah, I mean, I think we could easily spend two days in Athens. Eleusis. Yeah. Um, I, 
I'd be interested to see the theater at Epidurus. The big theater. That'd be cool. Um, I don't remember. Um, and then... What else was there? There's something else that was there, and then I don't remember what it was. Yeah. Uh, it'll come to me at some point or another. But, I mean, having the list... It's half the battle. Exactly. <laughs> and being able to say, no, this is the thing I need to see. So. That's what I mean. Like, I've got my top three that, like. Yeah. These are the ones that I want to see. Yep. Or four or five. But. Well, and that's okay. And know. then there are, there are books out there, too, that can help you. There are travel logs. And some of them are ancient. There are ancient <laughs> travel logs out there. Um, one of my favorites uh, is a book called Roman Holiday, I think is what it is. And uh, it has another name as well, but it's a, it's a modern writer who, who followed the pilgrimage trail. Okay. Um, the ancient pilgrimage trail and, and went and saw all the, all the key ancient sites that the Romans used to go see in Greece. So and it's traveling as though you're a Roman tourist. Exactly. That's, that's pretty cool. <laughs> well, you know, those barbarians are always out there. <laughs> Romans are barbarians. They're not Greeks. So, um, I don't know. Do they speak Greek? Some of them Because then they'd be fine. <laughs> that's really the only qualifier. <laughs> but the, the... So you can look at those old travel logs, you can look at modern versions of that, you can of course um, there's a set of books that I'll, I'll link to, I picked them up uh, a little while ago in hardback and I don't remember their names off the top of my head, but each one of them there's one for, for the Roman countryside and, and, and Rome, and then there's one for Greece okay. and it's sacred sites and pilgrimage sites and all that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, that sounds like we and can mythological just run sites. through those. Yep. Yeah, so like, why is the site important mythologically? Oh, that's why. And so you can kind of run through them all and say, oh, I'd like to go see that one. I, I remember that myth. I'd like to go see that one. And they're just, they're cool little books, um, but they help you plan. And that's, that's the thing that I really kind of look at and try and find. Mm-hmm. The other thing that is interesting and fun to do is to spend time looking at your favorite um, your favorite iconography and where it is. Finding out what you see them it is housed in. And then finding out what else is in that. So my favorite Greek deity iconography is all my seeing. Yeah. Those are the... That's all the statues and everything that I like of Mycenaean. Okay. So, file well, that away. So, we'll <laughs> find out where the Mycenaean stuff is. A lot of it's probably in the British Museum, but I'm sure that there's some <laughs> in the Peloponnese somewhere. Um, and we can find it. I'll bet. Um, but I've got lists of all the... You know, like, if I'm looking for all the Epona stuff... I know what museum a lot of those are in. Okay. Um, if I'm looking for all of the the Tyrannus stuff, I know where a lot of that stuff is. And you can find a lot of that stuff just by Googling. So part of what I'm hearing, though, is that for Tyrannus, let's say you have, I don't know, three 
things that are confirmed to be Tyrannus. <laughs> yeah. And if we're thinking about Greek stuff, that's a lot of things to pick from. It is a lot of things to pick from, though most of it's in the British Museum, so there is that. There is that. Uh, but, so, which is kind of follow-up to my next, my next thing, is that having done both a trip to Greece and looking at those sacred sites and stuff, and your other trips to places like France where you saw, um, like, the Nazis pillar and things like that. How different is it going somewhere where the runes still look like runes versus where the runes look like, oh, that's just a field now? Well, so some of the, the ruins that you go to look at have been preserved in some way, and that whole idea of preservation really comes about in, like, the 18th century. You know, before that, no one's really thinking about <laughs> preserving any of this right. stuff. Um, that's why, you know, a lot of this stuff ends up being taken off to build farmer's walls and stuff like that. It's, it's not important. It's somebody else's stuff. It's not really mine. But these days, you know, and starting in the 18th 1900s, there's a lot of this notion of, oh, we should preserve it, we should hold on to it. And population density in Northern Europe is actually reasonably higher than it is in Southern Europe in some places. Um, And so, they build on top of it. So, Vienna, for example. I was in Vienna and Salzburg um, and those areas, and in a lot of cases you find... I'm interested in in Celtic and Roman stuff, primarily. And you you find it all over Northern Europe and and Western Europe, but it's often buried under things. Greek culture has sort of... Spread. Yeah, and it's it's sort of hung out on the level, for the most part. You know, you can wander down and and go out into a field and find a a ruin of a temple. Um, But a lot of the... Northwestern stuff is, you know, in a city or in a town, and they kept building on top of it. And in a lot of ways, sometimes the entire town is a sacred space. Uh, Elysia in France, for example, um, I would go there if I had the chance, and I I just want to walk around the whole darn town because that is that's the last stand of the Celts against Caesar. Um, it was. Two full encircling rings of fences um, built by the Romans to to fight off the to starve out one set of Celts and fight <laughs> off another um, all at once. And um, so there, I'd be looking at kind of the whole space. Um, Chartres, the, where the cathedral is um, in France, the cathedral built on sacred space, often rumored to be a Druid Grove, the main Druid Grove uh, in the, the area of the Carnage. Um, that's where it's said to be built. Uh, Notre Dame is built on top of where the Nautes pillar used to stand. Right. And so there's a lot of, there are a lot of churches built right on top of them. There's a lot of city centers built right on top of Roman forums. And, you know, that is complicating. But being able to look at and see the, the layers um, 
there's a square in Vienna uh, where there's churches on either side and there's a dig, an archaeological dig right in the center of the square. There was, you know, yeah. 15 years ago. And so you can see all the, the Roman era stuff and it's just right there. And they used to play concerts in front of it and all that kind of stuff and they still do um, but it's fascinating to see how it gets integrated in and a lot of a lot of what I do in North and Western Europe is I go into museums and I find stuff there um, but there are still sites and there are places you can go and there are places that have been uh, changed from completely pagan to modern not so pagan um there are still sacred wells so uh, speaking of do you get to go see um the temple of Nehalenia on I, your trip I do intend to go see the reconstructed temple of Nehalenia on my trip uh it is in Kolmstad in the Netherlands and I'm not quite sure how I'm going to get there it's one of those things where I don't know how to get there but I have a whole day to do it and, and we're from the Midwest. <laughs> we're from the Midwest. I will find a way to get there. Even if I have to rent a car or a bicycle or a scooter, I'll find a way to get there. Um, I need to call or, or call or email them or something and just say, hey, I'd like to be there. When, when will the temple be open? Um, they don't have a very clear description on their website, but I'm sure that it will not be hard to figure out. I mean, that's also the other thing. You can call ahead to a lot of places. Mm -hmm. And especially if you really want to see a particular thing, you should call ahead. Um, Call the museum. Someone there will likely speak your language. um, And say, hey, I'm coming in. I would really like to see the Gunderstrup Cauldron. Is it on display? And they'll tell you whether it is or not. Uh, because sometimes museums loan things, and you may have to go somewhere else to see it. And you don't want to plan your whole trip and not be able under to go. the assumption that it's in one location. Yep. Yeah. Or worse, the whole museum is closed because it's under renovation. Museo de Clune was like that for a little while, and we just we showed up just either just after it reopened or just before it closed um, for like months. Like it was going to be closed for a year, year and a half or something like that or the wing that we wanted to go see was going to be closed. And so you've got to be real careful planning. And you can usually call and say, hey, I'm looking to book a trip. You know, do you have plans for this to be open? And they'll usually tell you. Um, Or email them. If you're not comfortable calling, because calling someone in a foreign language is complicating, <laughs> yep. I'm sure. Um, so there are ways to plan that. There are ways to kind of work around that. So that's my plan. That's kind of what I'm looking to do. And I'm sure that we'll have a discussion. After you get back. After you get back. I'm sure we will. About how that all went. Um, Maybe I'll even record something while I'm there. I don't know. Long flight. I do have a long flight. Um, A very long flight. (laughs) I can't wait to take our kids on a flight that long, right? It'll be fun. Yeah, or something. Um, 
I mean, they'll be going at about the same age that I went, so they'll yeah. be fine. Except be for fun. my younger. It will be fine. They will all manage. Good conversation. Thank you. No problem. Thanks for listening, and there's more to come. We welcome your ideas and questions. If there's something you would like to hear us discuss in a future episode, please drop us a line at druidsandcars at threecranes.org. If you'd like to donate, you can do so at threecranes.org slash donate. Druids and Cars Going to Festivals is a production of Three Cranes Grove ADF in Columbus, Ohio. Our theme song's lyrics were written by Arthur Shipkowski, and the music is written and recorded by Mike Beershank. Learn more about our grove at threecranes.org, and more about druidry at adf.org. As always, keep circulating the tapes, and let us pray with a good fire.